Good morning and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. Let me give you an update on what I've been up to since we last spoke. So about five days ago, the BMW R9T went back to BMW. I had to take it back to BMW. An amazing bike. I'm going to miss it hugely. Borderline, borderline. The R9T is almost too savagely quick for me. I like things a bit more laid back, but wow, what a machine. But the, the amount of people owners of BMWs that I've had messaging me saying, you know, the, the exhaust, it just doesn't sound right. They've got off, often the previous generation R9Ts up until maybe 2019, maybe a Euro 3, a Euro 4 bike. And the amount of people saying, wow, Euro 5 regulations, these new emissions regulations, they have strangled the character of the exhaust. I don't think I've ever had so much or so many owners of a specific model of bike contact me with regards to the Euro 5 and the latest model of bike. So there are a few people who have bought this new R9T Euro 5 bike. And what they've been telling me is that on previous models, you could buy your R9T, and I'm sure this goes for all bikes, buy a motorbike, screw out the decibel killer on the bike and that's great you get all of the exhaust character back the sound all of the beautiful rumble but but on this new euro 5 r9t you can no longer just unscrew the decibel killer you actually have to drill it out which is a much more in-depth process so you're left with a situation where you buy this brilliant new bike and i can just tell there's a characterful engine note desperate to come out with the R9T, but you buy it, there's no character from the exhaust. And this was an Akrapovich exhaust on the R9T that I was testing out. Great, great exhaust brand with a brilliant reputation, but still no character. So you buy your dream bike. It's got the standard BMW warranty, and you don't want to invalidate the warranty, but even the Akrapovich exhaust doesn't make the beautiful sound you're looking for. So what do you do? So I've had R9T owners contact me to say, a few of them actually physically drill out this decibel killer, but it invalidates your warranty. So if you do that, you have to do so in the knowledge that your warranty is going to be invalidated, or you go out there and you buy an aftermarket exhaust. I'm guessing it probably can't be from BMW because this already has your crap exhaust from BMW and it doesn't make a sound. So then you have to put an aftermarket exhaust in and to the best of my knowledge, that also invalidates the warranty. So then you're left with, I think it's a three year warranty BMW have, you're left with keeping the BMW maybe for the first three years with no sound in order to make the most of that warranty because you don't really want to invalidate your warranty. It's a tough situation to be in, but very interesting to hear what the Euro 5's done to exhaust notes. And actually now, when I test a bike, whether it be the Scout Bobber, the R9T, or I've got a few other brand new 2021 Euro 5 bikes coming, I don't even class the exhaust note is a negative. I remember when I tested the Scout Bobber and I said, you know, characterless exhaust. But now I've tested the R9T 
it's got no character as well. So I don't think it's fair to to class it as a negative for these bike manufacturers that the exhaust, the engines don't have character anymore because it's not their fault. They're they're strangled. They're restricted restricted by these regulations. So that's just the world we live in at the moment. But going on from that, because one of the slight negatives I had for the R9T is it's not comfortable for two people. And while I know that's not the specific focus of this bike, so I don't want to go too much into that, it's still, it's something to bear in mind. Because if you buy this bike, it's good to know where the restrictions are. It's a £13,000 bike and it is restricted in that term. For example, Monica, 15 minutes on the back of the R9T. Apologies, that's my mobile. 15 minutes on the back of the R9T is all you can manage because otherwise it just gets too unpleasant. So, a few BMW owners have contacted me and said, the best kept secret, the BMW R1250R. That's a bike that, it's not exactly the style of bike that I'd usually look at, but it gets a brilliant reputation. The BMW owners, absolutely rave about this bike 1250 cc engine kind of a a naked sports touring kind of bike mean looking bike ten thousand pounds i had a look secondhand ten thousand pounds you can get about a one or two year old version of this bike and significantly comfier than the r9t so if you're looking for a big bike more comfortable than the likes of an R9T. Have a look at this because that looks like a seriously competent bike. BMW R1250R. And I move on to the Harley Davidson Livewire. Now this is a bike now that I've had for, for five days. This is day five. And I won't go into all of the details of my first day's struggle because I posted a YouTube video of that. You can check out my YouTube channel, Freddie Dobbs, it's called. And I did a full 37 minute, my longest ever YouTube video about my first day with that because it was eye-opening. To give you a, a brief overview, I started picking the day, picking up the bike in or near the Cotswolds. So it was about 160 miles away from Southeast London. Picked it up absolute heaven the first 60 miles riding around the country lanes the beautiful Cotswold villages could not have been happier you're not annoying the locals in the beautiful town with the huge rumble of a big Harley engine for example it's easy to ride I could have thrown Monica onto it and she could have ridden for 130 miles with no training it is as easy as a scooter but getting onto the motorway and heading home this is when things took a huge, huge turn for the worse. One, one out of six electric chargers was working. One out of six. It's just completely, completely unacceptably bad. I'll give you a few examples. We pull into one of the M25 service stations. So the M25 is big motorway that completely surrounds London. The southeast of England has 47% of all of the UK's electric chargers. So this should be no issue at all. And a service station on the M25 where a huge amount of people do important journeys for business and things like that. In this big service station, there are two 
Ecotricity charges. And Ecotricity online, it looks like it's ranked just about the worst electric charging provider in the UK. So I pull up to the Ecotricity charger. The super fast charge is broken and the taxi driver I'm talking to there who's charging his car, it's been broken for four weeks. So the only charger available is a, and I'm quoting, standard charger. But what standard charging actually means in reality is, and I plugged in the Harley to check this, plugged in the Harley to the standard Ecotricity charger, eight and a half hours charge time, eight and a half hours to charge a motorbike in a big UK service station just on the outskirts of London, the only non-Tesla charger in the whole car park. So if there are two cars ahead of you, that's 17 hours to charge that you have to wait for. But I guess it's a nice excuse if you're a family man or woman and you want to go on a day out because you pull up, you wait 17 hours, you, you set up a tent on the grass there while you're waiting to charge. The toilet's in there, you can get the children a chocolate bar, you can turn every charge into a little adventure. I guess that's the positives of it. I was so, so angry by this stage. And you look over behind you and there is the most stunning row, 15 Tesla chargers, state-of-the-art, absolutely pristine, the entire range of Teslas being charged with the owners smiling and looking happy and relaxed. So well done, Tesla, for the huge, huge investment they've done. They are absolutely head and shoulders above everyone else. So things have to change. And I had a lot, really a lot of international electric car and motorbike owners contacting me over the week. California is ranked as one of the best places in the world for electric chargers. But even the Californians were telling me that, especially for the motorbikes, because the range is so much lower, Actually, let me give you an overview. 145 miles claimed urban range for the live wire. On the motorway, I got 90 miles. But but urban, on the tank I'm in at the moment, it looks like I will be getting about 120, maybe even 130 miles. In, in the urban environment, electric bikes make 100% sense. If you can charge at home and just ride around commuting to work, 100% sense. Out on road trips on the open road, nope, they don't work, forget it. So I had a few Californians contacting me, specifically for motorbikes, saying that, yeah, it still doesn't even work in California. They've had a few of their friends and themselves been on a road trip, plan their exact route down to the T, exactly where each charge would be, get to the charging point, broken. So they're stranded 40 miles from any charger with a range of about 10 to 15 miles and they have to call a pickup truck to come and tow them away. So that's where we are at the moment with, with the electric revolution. I can see it's possible. Uh, I, I've been sold the dream. When these chargers work and one's actually available, it's a dream. It's £3.88, £3.88 to charge the bike. 90 mile range at an electric charging point. Charlie Borman actually told me that he pays £1.50 charging at night from home for the full tank. So if you have a house, it's, it's an absolute dream owning it. And just looking in the news today, Zero Motorcycles, they have the Zero SR slash S. And I've been told from reading online, this is the best version of an electric motorcycle you can get. If you buy this bike with an electric 
electric power tank. It can give you a quoted 200 mile range. 200 mile range. So let's say in reality, maybe that's 170, 160. That is really a huge game changer because 90 to 100 miles on the Harley, that, that does restrict you purely to urban rides because it just means that after 50 miles you're starting to be a bit worried about the range but if you get 160 to 200 mile range that changes things massively so 200 mile claimed range charge to 100 percent in 90 minutes with a rapid charger power as as is always the case with these electric bikes now think super bike fast five-year warranty, 60, 60 pounds a year annual service cost, and the cost in the UK. Now, this is the interesting thing. The cost in the UK for the Zero SR slash S, 20,000 pounds. That's 10,000 pounds less than the live wire. That's, that's starting to get more interesting because I've got a figure in my mind that I think these electric vehicles have to be for it to be genuinely viable and get people off petrol. And that is, roughly speaking, a range of, funnily enough, almost exactly what this zero is, 160 to 200 mile range, charging time 20 to 30 minutes, and price sub 16,000. That's in my mind, the level electric motorbikes have to be in order to really shift the focus away from petrol. But I'll move on now because I seem to always talk in every podcast about electric vehicles. And while I'm a huge fan of it, I know that it's still, judging from what I've seen, judging from what I've seen in reality, my honest thought is for motorcycles specifically, we're eight, we're eight years away or something like that. Probably eight years or so away from that. So I'll move on because, and I'll kind of move on actually, because as I was charging the live wire, I did an Insta story about charging it and I locked the live wire to a big chunky chain that I always carry around whenever I bike. And I had uh, a rider from Switzerland contact me and he said, why are you locking? Why are you locking the live wire with such a big chain just to charge it? And I was charging it in Dartford, which is a town just on the outskirts of London, but within the M25, this big motorway that surrounds London. So kind of in the London area. And I lock it to a huge chain, as I always do. You have to lock your bike to a chain in the UK. And he said, why'd you do that? What's the need? All you're doing is charging it. I said, are you joking? within the M25 or in London, and I don't want to tarnish the whole of the UK with the same brush, that's not fair, but where I live in the London area, within the M25, if you don't lock your motorbike, it will be stolen within 10 minutes, especially in the southeast of London, the outskirts of southeast London where I live, five minutes, and if someone sees a live wire parked, charging up in a car park with no lock on it in Dartford. That bike is gone in five minutes. Absolutely no question at all. And I often have people, when I pull my bike out of my lockup, every bike in our lockup, every single one has at least three locks. They've all got two of the biggest chains you've ever seen with one disc lock. And that's for every single one of the bikes in my lockup. 
and I'm actually careful now not to show what the other bikes are because, and I'll get to this in a second, we have so many attempted thefts. But if you don't have three locks on your bike where I live, you will be having sleepless nights. So I said to him, I said to this Swiss guy, God, what's it like in Switzerland? And he said, no, bike, bike theft almost doesn't exist. People would come over to admire it, but you, you don't think about chaining your bike up when you park it up. You park your bike up and you get on with your day. No, people don't steal bikes, generally speaking, in Switzerland. It's just, it doesn't happen. God, I hope that's the case one day in the UK because parts of the UK are completely lawless and out of control. And I'll back that up for you. Where I live for the past six years, this is, this is what it's been like. I've had over five attempted thefts on my motorbikes and one attempted theft on a car of mine. Within the past year, this is what's been going on within the past year where I live. There's been one stolen car that's battering around its way through the motorcycle lockup door. So it drives, builds up as much speed as it can and battering rams its way through, usually at about 20 miles an hour, breaks through and then tries to take a motorbike. And the last attempt they did with this, they stole, they tried to take all of them, but they managed to steal two motorbikes. Another time, it could have been turned into a feature-length film. Two of the local thieves, they broke in to the, the rubbish storage. And the rubbish storage is next to the motorbike storage. So they managed to get into the rubbish storage late at night, about two in the morning. And then... They drilled one of the big, I think you call them cinder blocks, one of the big bricks. They drilled one individual brick out from the wall that connects the rubbish lockup to the motorcycle lockup. And I had a look at this the day after the theft. It, this was tiny. This was something like from the Great Escape or something. So the guy that squeezed through can't have been more than 15 years old because a fully grown man wouldn't be able to fit through. So they managed to drill perfectly around the seam of this cinder block, remove the cinder block at the dead of night. One of them squeezed through, then opened the motorbike lock up from the inside, and they managed to steal again two motorbikes. And this happens all the time. I could give you an endless list of different thefts that go on, but it's constant, absolutely constant, the, the threat of motorcycle theft here. So again, two motorcycles stolen. One of them was recovered. But this is the interesting thing. Over the past six years, there have been probably, probably about 12 to 13 attempted thefts on the motorcycle lockup where I live. And every single time, the bikes, there's one thing that stands out for the bikes that have been recovered. So Firstly, the bikes that are stolen are, are usually the bikes with the fewer locks. However, it was found out on CCTV that the thieves actually were there for two hours drilling, two hours drilling through a set of locks to steal one motorbike. So it took two hours of them drilling. They did manage to steal it because it was at the dead of night. They managed to steal one of the motorbikes, but it did take them two hours. So they'll always go for the bike with the fewer slots, but if they can't get a bike with the fewer slots, 
they'll find a lockup where they know no one no one walks past at the dead of night so they knew they had a lot of time and they stole they stole a bike but it took them two hours to drill through these locks which i found quite interesting and quite promising but but if they do manage to steal a bike there's one thing that stands two different sets of bikes apart and that is the motorbikes with a tracker because out of the past three thefts every single bike with a tracker has been recovered every single one the most recent there were two bikes that were stolen and one of the two bikes had a tracker on it one of the two had a tracker on it so one of the guys whose bike was stolen he got a warning flash up on his mobile that his bike was on the move so he ran downstairs saw that the bikes had gone and then he could see on the tracker the last location of the bike the last given location the tracker gave of the bike so he ran over and it was in an asda car park or just to the side of an asda car park underneath an overpass for cars and there it was his bike and also another bike within the development that had no tracker at all but what the thieves had done and what they usually do when they steal a bike they will usually leave the bikes that they've stolen for one to two days and the reason they leave them there is because they want to know if there's a tracker on because if there's a tracker on they don't want the owner of the bike and the police to be able to find their hideout where they often keep multiple bikes so what they'll do they'll steal your motorbike and they'll leave it undercover somewhere away from where they are and if no one's come to claim the bike within one to two days they'll know there's no tracker on it so they can then take it so my neighbor ran over saw both of the bikes in the underpass actually managed to see the thieves as well they ran off but he was just so happy to get his bike back that he took the bike pushed it back and he called the other bike owner to come and get his bike so they were lucky that both of theirs were found but what is often the case is that the bikes with no trackers get stolen i had a, a neighbor of mine with a yamaha his got stolen he never managed to retrieve it because there was no tracker and i don't have i don't have a tracker on my bike and i i often think i should i've just been just through blind luck through blind luck that i've never had a motorbike stolen because my my bike's been there when other bikes in the lockup have been stolen the lockup's been broken into bikes around mine have been stolen but luckily for me my bike is often on the cheaper end of the spectrum so they'll often go for the other more modern bikes but it's only through luck that mine hasn't been stolen i mean i remember one time with my old tramp speed triple i parked it up outside not in a lockup came downstairs and one of my neighbors said oh oh i just saw two guys pull up in a van and they were angle grinding your lock off angle grinding your lock off and i said what he said yeah they were just downstairs angle grinding it in broad daylight and i looked at my lock and they tried angle grinding i could see the angle grinding indentations in my lock these thieves where we live they don't care they're so brazen about it so i've been lucky so many times i often think about getting a tracker but a couple of things i just i don't want any tracker wired into my bike because i've got a massive phobia 
of motorcycle alarms after having my Triumph Speed Triple with the Triumph Factory Alarm from 2007, which was the worst alarm I've ever experienced in my life. And it destroyed the bike, destroyed the battery. I know things have moved on, but I just don't want to retro wire anything into my wiring system. So I had a look online just before this this um this chat that we're having now i had a look online sorry i just went completely blank onto this podcast episode had a look online monimoto and this i've never had a tracker i've never even spoken to monimoto but i thought i'd have a look and see if there's anything interesting that could work company called monimoto they sell a tracker for 149 pounds plus a £2.70 a month SIM card subscription. Made in Europe, this tracker. You get your first two months free. And the good thing about this is it doesn't require any wiring at all. So what it does, you have this little thing that looks like a fob. And you hide this fob that comes with two batteries and it's just easy unscrew, screw in. Standard batteries you can buy from any supermarket or Amazon. So no wiring required. You hide this little fob in your bike anywhere that you think will be hard for a thief to find. You then attach a little fob for your keyring onto your keyring. No buttons at all. So you've hidden it somewhere on your bike. You've got the app. Everything's now registered. You then walk up to your bike, put the key in the ignition, and it deactivates the tracker. So you don't need to tap anything. It's just when your key fob is in close proximity to the motorcycle, it will disarm it automatically. And then when you walk away, it will arm it automatically. Nothing needed with regards to buttons. So this, this for me is the most viable tracking solution that I've seen. It works with a mobile app. So if your bike's on the move, when your key fob is not near it, it will immediately alarm you. So you can see second by second exactly what's going with your bike and where your bike's moving. And for me, I think that actually is a bit of a game changer. Monimoto Tracker. And it's something I'm seriously considering. Question time. Would I buy, and I've had this a lot actually, would I buy a live wire? Yes, yes, I would in the right situation. Firstly, I would have to be significantly richer than I am now because a live wire at this point with the current infrastructure and the range of the live wire, it is a commuter bike and an urban bike and it can't be more than that. You can't go touring on it, forget it. The infrastructure isn't there and all of your friends will hate you because you spend 50% of the journey looking for chargers. But as an urban ride, as a commuter, Honestly, there's nothing better. There's no weight on your wrists. You don't have to worry about changing gear. It feels surprisingly light and nimble. It's as easy as riding a Vespa around a city. And riding a scooter around the city is the best way to get around. So a live wire is the best motorcycle I've ever ridden for the urban environment. So yes, I'd buy one, but I'd have to be significantly richer and it would have to be a second bike of mine. Second question, when will I try a Moto Guzzi V7? This bike, this bike's been high on my list for a long time now, actually. And I think it's equally as good as as good looking as the Triumph Bonneville. So I really try and contact them. 
and see if I can get one. Yeah, very keen on that. That's, that's a bike that I know will be the exact type of bike I like. Perfect size engine-wise. It will be nippy, great-looking, loads of character. Yep, high on my list, 100%. And this, for the final question, this is... This is my kind of question because I love a good budget car or bike. So, best bike for £2,000. So, I went on to Auto Trader for this thinking, great, here we go. I'll be able to find you a brilliant list of bikes. In the UK, it is incredible how expensive bikes are. There almost are no cheap bikes in the UK. I put a search in. And I didn't want to give you a too old a bike that may be unreliable. So I did 2008 as the, the oldest bike and a maximum price of £2,000. And the total amount of motorbikes under £2,000, over 600cc and 2008 and newer, 11 bikes. You've got a choice, at least on Autotrader, of 11 bikes. But there are two bikes from those 11 that I think, hmm, yeah, I consider that. So one of them, we got a, a very nice looking black Kawasaki ER6F, 650cc, 25,000 miles, 2008. That's a good shout. Another one, in fact, we've got another Kawasaki ER6F. That would be a good, reliable bike. Not going, going to win any looks awards, but it will be good reliable fast with 71 horsepower and you'll be able to tour on that actually as well that that will be a very very solid bike friend of my ha mine had that and you've also got a yamaha xj6 2011 model with 43,000 miles smart looking bike for yeah for 1600 so that's the type of bike that you'll probably be looking for you're not in the region of modern classics. Actually, probably modern classics. Someone asked me this week, what would you go for £3,000 for modern classic? Probably something like the Bonneville around about my year or 2008 is the cheapest modern classic-ish bike that you can get for around three to 4K. So I'd recommend something like that. And that's it. Almost, I'm getting the hang of this, almost perfectly on time. That's 30 minutes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please do subscribe to the channel and you can find me on Instagram, dob.bs and my YouTube channel has its eighth video, which is my first day with the Harley Livewire. So follow me on or subscribe on YouTube at Freddy Dobbs. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week and I'll see you in the next one.